1: Hunters are in the woods giving it everything they got. And up next are the peak rut hunters. Yeah, buddy, them big boys are coming to town trying to take their place as the monarchs of the herd. Those are the herd bulls that we dream about. But trust me, those big wise boys, they didn't get that way from making tons of mistakes. Tonight, first up, Joe and I talk about strategies you can use to help you be successful no matter what size bull you're hunting for during the peak rut. Then we talk about what to do after the kill. The thoughts, decisions, preparation and meat care is so important for getting your kill off the mountain and to the freezer. Those topics and our Elk Bros shout outs along with questions from our Elk Bros mailbox. So my friends, pull up a chair and adjust your volumes just right. And welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting. <laughs> Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting, brought to you by ElkGrows.com, with your host Gilbert Arnellis and Elk Hunting Coach Joe Gillian. You want to hunt elk and they live to hunt elk. Their goal is to share with you what they have learned grinding it out for over 35 seasons doing what they love. So come on into camp and set a spell. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunters. hello again everyone welcome to the show if it's your first time with us glad to have you hope you enjoy our show and for those blue collar hunters following our show and grinding it out every week with us welcome back to elk camp i'm gilbert ornelas coming to you from spring texas and joining me from new mexico our elk hunting coach joe Gillia.
2: hey what's, what's up, up joe? G- hey man so gilbert now you know, buddy, we're really not here, right?
1: That's right. We're not here. We're here,
2: but we ain't here. We're, and they say tech, technology is amazing. Let me, because exactly. all y'all listening right now, you're hearing voices. You might be seeing faces, but I don't know. This is some kind of ghost thing because we, right here. now, are in the mountains chasing elk, right? Absolutely. You know, today is uh, September 3rd, September 3rd. But if you remember, we actually record these podcasts a week in advance. So even though you're hearing us and we've got this podcast out, we ain't here. We're chasing and having ourselves a blast. But chances are we got some meat on the meat pole. Oh, that would be awesome, man. That'd be Bet awesome. You. Oh, uh, so before we get moving on too quick, right along those same lines, remember guys that the episode, we will have a podcast that will be out the week of the 16th. That's uh, next week. But not necessarily on Tuesday when we generally, generally release. Uh, we're real good. We always, man, we work so hard at getting out every Tuesday, but we're just going to be coming out of the mountains when that happens. And uh, special surprise, some of you guys are already talking about it and pretty exciting, but we're going to be recording our podcast and possibly more than that from our elk camp. So that's something pretty doggone special, man.
1: We're going to have the mafia and the (laughs) Pennsylvania cat scratcher, Brendan Houlihan, he's going to be there.
2: I'm telling you, I can't wait to get them all in the elk camp. So last time I was talking about how, you know, he's – infamous you know he's probably killed more cats than most people with his hands than most people have with a weapon that's, and that's and guys right. so you guys know that out there you don't send letters and think that this guy's playing dangerous or try to do this at home yeah, uh, please don't we we, we try to uh, it's kind of making a little bit light of of, uh, some of Gilbert's legendary statements that he <laughs> makes about people, man. So, For sure. yeah. For sure. So, uh, yeah, I'm anxious to have Brandon back in camp, man. And, uh, and you're, you guys will get an opportunity to hear the story about those cats on one of the Ornelas Unleashed. So we'll be telling that, uh, here in the future, Gilbert. All Absolutely. right. Absolutely. Yes, yeah. sir. First up, man, for our grinders out there, you know what time it is, Joe. It's time shout for up,
1: our Elgro shout, shout, out. shout, shout out.
2: Shout out! Shout <laughs> out!
1: If you're new to our show, these are just shout outs to a few cities with the most listeners topping our chart this week.
2: That's right. And before we even go to that, man, um, last week I talked about people that uh, have been leaving reviews for us uh, on iTunes, on Apple Podcasts, and. I want to make sure that, uh, I just give a shout out to some of those names now. And, and, and I want to tell you guys too, a bunch of you are leaving these incredible reviews and we'd love to thank you and, and shout out your name. But we get things like, you know, uh, like El Mafioso and, you know, (laughs) Backwoods Boy and everything like, you know, give us your name and give us where you're from, um, and if you want us to give a shout-out, we'd love to do that. So um, I, I want to thank these guys right off the bat. Michael Nord from Grand Forks, North Dakota. In fact, he sent in a, a question as well, and we're going to hit him in the mailbox down here in a minute. Awesome. Uh, Travis Driscoll, thank you, Travis, for your great, uh, your great review that you gave us. Now, Dylan Ferriera, how would you say that? Because I I, I've talked with Dylan, (laughs) I've talked with him. What a great individual Dylan is. He's a he's a biologist over in Rhode Island. Rhode Uh, Island, yeah, super super guy. And that's why I was like Ferriera is how I would say it, but. Right. uh, if, if I get it wrong, Dylan, you know where to contact me, but <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm sure you won't be the first guy, Joe.
2: No, I, you know, if, if people are getting Gillia right. G-I-G-L-I-A. And, and it's not Giglia right. and giggles right. <laughs> and yeah. and all that stuff. Uh, uh-huh. want to yeah. thank Tim Curtis from West Virginia, West Virginia. And, Michael Miller, here it is, buddy. Michael Miller, big shout-out to you at Apache Junction in Arizona. All and right. uh, Michael has drawn a tag in Arizona. Yes, oh, sir. Wow. And he's getting big ready moves. to chase those boys. So good luck to you, Michael. So you we're, now we're going to go down to our shout-outs and topping the chart this week. Affectionately called Oly by Locals. Averaging only eight snowy days per year, so it's not as cold as people think. And even though they get about 220 cloudy days per year, they actually get less total rain than New Orleans or Miami, Florida. (laughs) Yeah, this this city is Washington State's capital and the founding birthplace of the grunge band Nirvana. Big oh, wow. Elk Bro shout out to Olympia, Washington. Oh, yeah. Olympia, <laughs> Washington in the house. That's yeah, awesome. Man. And you know what? I was there. I got a chance to go to Washington, my wife and I, and, and spotted some of those uh, elk out there. And oh, yeah. Loretta was like, only you. you know. <laughs> so <laughs> actually yeah. camped on Rainier, uh, camped oh, in the wow. in, in the whole rainforest. and Sure. Beautiful state, man. So It is
1: a beautiful state, for sure. I've spent some time in Seattle, and it's a beautiful place, man. Yeah.
2: So, guys, thanks for listening. You bet. Guys, next up, every time
1: you put your hand over your heart and say the Pledge of Allegiance, you have a connection with this Francis Bellamy, the author of the Pledge of Allegiance. Lived and now is buried in Rome, New York.
2: Rome, New York. Rome, New York. In the house, guys. Thank you for listening. I had no idea... That there was a Rome, New York. So, Me either.
1: are uh, do. You, have you looked on the state and see where close where it's close to?
2: So Joe? in Rome, New York, that's where the first shovel of dirt was dug to create the Erie Canal, Bud. Oh, really? Yeah. So it's got to be over there on the other side. Yeah. So I mean that uh, that connected all that area, and I'm actually going to look it up, Joe. Fifteen miles on the Erie Canal. Yeah, man. New York. one of those songs that we had up next state law requires that gas attendants pump your gas here this was the strangest thing because when we went there uh and we've been here when we went there it was like you're not allowed to pump your own gas here you have to have an attendant pump your gas it's state really? law yeah so state law requires that Gas Tennis, pump your gas here. And this city is the home of Nike. And I don't know Whoa. if you know the story, but the soles of their first <coughs> shoes were made, and I kid you not, Gilbert, with a waffle iron. Really? Yeah. A waffle iron? <laughs> a waffle iron. He would pour rubber in a waffle iron because he was trying to create a light shoe that, sure. uh, and trying to make it a little lasting. And mm-hmm. it was actually, uh, Mitterman made these for prefontaine and prefontaine was one of the first people to wear the the nike shoe and he was
1: a a runner right
2: correct yeah track
1: track star yes
2: sir very much so and uh uh you know uh, i i say eugene's kind of the that's the track that uh pre-built man i mean he was phenomenal and uh but they he would make them into waffle iron uh You know, rubber just pouring in there, and that's how it had the waffle bottom, and he'd cut them and form them and glue them to the shoe. That was the beginning of Nike right there. Wow. And it was in this city in Eugene, Oregon.
1: Eugene,
2: Oregon. Yes, sir.
1: Uh, It's a cool town, man. Oh, definitely. Uh, Neat neat place. Oregon's a cool state. But I did not know that that was a law that you have to have – Somebody pump your gas. That's the pretty att- cool. <laughs>
2: yes, sir. The attendants pump cool. the gas. Yep, yep, sure is. Awesome.
1: Well, next up, Joe, John Wayne's first leading role the big, out of the movie The Big Trail was filmed here in 1957. It has been the home to the world's longest running shootout. You can check it out, Gunslingers on Mondays through Saturday in the town square, and none of them other than
2: Jackson, Wyoming. Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Yes, sir. Awesome, man. Uh, And last but not least, home to the first woman ever elected to Congress in 1916. And believe it or not, you can go to the local Clark Ford River in the middle of downtown (laughs) and watch surfers, kayakers, and paddleboarders boarders. (laughs) Ride the man made Brennan's wave in Missoula, Montana. Really? Yeah. Missoula, Montana. Yeah. So I'll tell you. I mean, this is pretty much a calm river right in the in the middle yeah. of the town there, but they, they created, went and created this man made wave. And you can go there and and watch surfers, man, watch the kayakers all on this man made wave that it's kind of a standing wave that stays right there in the river. You know, so that's pretty cool. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> no doubt. Hey, Joe, I
1: looked up where Rome, New York was, and it's uh-huh. just outside of Syracuse, right on Lake Oneida. Oh, so oh. really wow. cool. Between Utica and Syracuse, Syracuse, there's Rome, New
2: York. So, wow, that's awesome, I, man. That I, is awesome. I was trying to find something out about Rome, New York, and all I kept getting was Rome, Italy, man. it was, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. Google and Siri just want to talk about Rome. Italy. Yeah. yeah. Here we go, man. Uh, You know, for people listening today, it either means, number one, uh,
2: they're either hunting the second half of bow
1: season or they got a rifle yet to come.
2: That's right, Gilbert. So today, it's all about those guys right now, they're in the second half of the bow season. We're going to deal with the next batters up. And if those guys are hunting now, uh, getting ready for that, that means they're going to be right at that fall equinox They're hunting that late season, doing that seven days right between um, the equinox on September 23rd, and man, if you have not hunted the peak rut, and I know you have because I've been with you on the peak rut. You bet. And those bulls are screaming. All day and all night. Yeah. And you know, for most people, most people feel like, well, if you're going to go hunt elk with a bow you want to do it when they're screaming like crazy and you know there's advantages to it and there's disadvantages to it it's it's all about what you're looking for out of that and I tell you if I think everybody should hunt the peak hunt peak rut at least once in their life man because (laughs) yeah just to see those herd bulls in action because what it means y'all out there is when we talk about peak rut The real bulls, the herd bulls, have taken over the harems. They've taken over those herds. They've, you know, they let those satellite bulls collect those cows up, and then they, you know, sat off in the wings. And and it's smart. That's to save some energy so they can survive all the rest of the rut. Um, They know that these cows are not going to come in uh, estrus until about that 14-day period Right mm-hmm. around that equinox. Now, some of them are going to come in early. Some of them are going to come in later. Mm-hmm. But most of them are going to come in that that period, those seven days before, seven days after. So they wait in the wings and then come and take over the herd, so that they're their prime time to be able to breed those cows when they come in heat. Um, Joe, I
1: got a question
2: for you. Yeah, you
1: bet. Let's say let's say you put in for the once in a lifetime draw there in your great state of new mexico right okay. right once in a lifetime right What, which one would you pick to go <laughs> up there and hunt at uh you know the viva doll um would you pick the peak or would you pick the first split
2: i you know if you could pick the days uh, that you were doing it i would i would probably go um from uh I, no, I would say it would be that first section. I think it would be from the fifteenth down. It really would um mm-hmm. because that's my opportunity right there. I think is the best opportunity. I truly believe it that um that those ten days from the fifth to the fifteenth right i I think are some of the best days to be able to hunt I elk. Agree. I, I, and i've
1: like you, I've hunted the peak. Right. right. And I've I've hunted past the peak into October when it's just crazy bonkers. Right. And it's not easy to get on them with a muzzle loader, much no. less get on a big bull with a bow because well, there's so many eyes and yeah. there's so much they're just not going to sit still, you know. And they're not re- they will come to a call, but man when they got cows, they just really aren't that interested
2: in the well. call. And see, that's, that's the thing, though, is, is – and we're, gonna, we're getting ready to talk about that in the strategy. Yeah. So for I sure. really want you to dig into me with some of those same things that you were just saying right, right. there because cool. sure. um, it, it really kind of depends on what people are looking for. And right. if I was going to fill milk – Mm -hmm. um if i was going to hunt with a rifle you know yeah (laughs) then i i want to be there on that october 1st because now you know i i'm able i mean they're sounding off and i'm able to locate those guys they're telling me where they're at um some of the great things you can get on video because again they're just i mean they're they're fighting fighting. off all these satellites the whole time and you get to hear all these sounds and you get to be uh involved in all that herd activity which is is just so much fun. So um, so let's talk about that a little bit, a sure, little sure. bit. Uh, the most effective tactics for you guys that are going to happen during the peak rut is going to be calling, and we're going to talk about it because Gilbert was just talking about that, decoys and even stalking. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, you know, I'm going to come from the bottom up because what Gilbert was talking about is how hard sometimes it is if, you again are after a mature herd bull. If you have made that your goal, that's a tough call. And it can be done. um, But you got to remember, like he said, he's with these cows. There's so many eyes out there. You've got satellite bulls circling the group. Uh, You got a bull that's trying to tend to cows. So You know, his mind is he's constantly scent-checking his cows the whole time, circling. He's circling for a number of reasons. He's circling to fight off satellites. He's circling to scent-check so that when one of those cows comes in, he, he can then breed that cow. So there's so much going on. But that does lend to itself because... It's such a changing thing that it does lend itself to being able to stock up in the right situation with the right terrain, with the right cover. Is it easy? Heck no, it's not. But if you can ever start working in on a herd and you can see where some cows have gotten a little bit off of that herd and you can get in that area where he's going to come over and retrieve those cows, he will do it and it, it it really lends itself to getting a good shot opportunity um i i know of a lot of guys that when they hear those bulls screaming like they shut up and they just stalk in and try to create their own shot opportunity
1: mm-hmm.
2: all right so yeah i
1: mean if you can get between him and his cows it's you got a great opportunity there because nine times out of ten they're not going to leave them now that's not every one of them but because uh, <laughs> we've seen that you know other things uh, unfold but it, Nine, I'd say ninety percent of the time he's going to stick with his cows. And
2: so what Gilbert's talking about, y'all, and it's a, it's a, this is a great story. Um, we are we have a bull with cows. And he's got his group. He's a, he's traveling with one. them, coming up on a hill, and a beautiful bull. He's got about ten, twelve cows with him, and the cows um, come over towards our right, and we go down and get in position between this bull. And his cows, and I look at Gilbert and said, buddy, (laughs) this is it, man. I mean, we're in high cotton right now because this guy's going to come. Yeah, I
1: mean, we had had three or four of them little raghorn bulls walking, you know, within 12 yards of us and several, you know, 10 or 12 cows walking and killing distance. And he's just lagging back. And you're like, oh, he's coming. That's not a problem.
2: And all of a sudden, bulls scream. We have the cows to our right. Bulls scream off a hundred yards or so, uh, to our left. And what does this bull do? He turns and leaves and goes to those other bulls. Crazy. Now, yeah. And at the time we we're like shaking our head and going, Oh my God, how, what in the heck just happened? We were in prime time position. So let me tell you what happened. Okay. When those, when that one bull screamed that was over there, what, We did what we failed to recognize at the time was that first scream was a lip ball bugle followed by a challenge bugle at him. So when you hear that lip ball bugle or you hear that short roundup bugle, what that signified to the bull that we had in front of us, he had been with his cows. He knew that all his cows were where they were, but he had scent checked and none of them were in heat. Yep. Now he hears a bull lip-balling and another mm. bull challenging that bull and them going back and forth, and that signaled to him that there's, that there's cows in heat off to the side. So for him, he can go over, try to go either take those cows, breed those cows, and then come back to his own. So mm. – the. Uh, That's something for you to remember, and I want you to remember that because that's the exact strategy that you're going to use to be able to pull a herd bull off his cows. Uh, Can it be done? Yes, it can. All right? Now, decoys. If you are stocking in on a herd… If you're stalking in on herd, one of your best bets to help cover you, to relax them, is a decoy in front of you, okay? Uh, you can use that decoy and even cow call, and he sees he's got a cow off to the side, and now he's going to go try to scent check that cow. You're in the money, okay?
1: Oh, yeah. This bull right here, that bull right there, he's succumbed to that. You know, yep. no doubt we pulled him off of other cows, and here he came. Right. And he's seen that decoy up on the hill. He was like, Oh buddy, we're going to come, come investigate. Shame right. on him. He's uh, now rested right here. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so Joe's we- this is 100% a product of what Joe's talking about. Yes, sir. such good content about not giving, I mean not giving up and we battled with that bull bo- actually pulled him off another one of our guys That was calling him to another location, and we actually pulled him off of them, then had him come to us. You weren't too happy
2: with me. That's all right. Carl was grinning
1: from ear to ear.
2: So he got over it real quick. Now, the other
1: guy, Scott Deaton, I won't mention any names. Scott Deaton, uh, he might have been a little upset.
2: Don't hate the player, hate the game, man. Hate the game, baby. Exactly. So, So let's get to what. We were talking about we we said stalking, yes. and and that is what it is, man. The most important thing with any of this stuff is going to be the wind. You don't have the wind, it's Agreed. not going to happen. Number one, you got to have that. Um, so stalking. Look, and
1: wouldn't you say that's a a good point right there, Joe? Is if you don't have the wind, don't don't push it, especially early in a hunt well, where you don't yeah. want to blow him out
2: of there because well, you'll get another
1: opportunity to get on him.
2: Generally, if you're on a group like this, that means you're on a group, um, most likely in the morning before they've started to head up or you're on a group in the evening when they've come out. Right. And, you know, if you're on them in the evening and it's not going to work out back out, they're going to be there in the morning, you know, you you but bet. if you're on them in the morning and it gets bad, shadow that group and yep. in which we're going to talk about in the, in a, here in a few minutes, you shadow that group. And in a minute, I'm going to tell you why. Um, so when we talk about calling, um, again, what kind of bull elk are you looking for? If you're looking for any bull or any elk, if you, if you don't mind shooting a cow, you know, cow call. Mm-hmm. You know, cow calls are going to work great, um, you know, especially if you, you know, you do uh, some insistent calls, you do a little herd talking. Then what's going to happen is there's, especially around another herd bull, there's satellites and there's Spikes that want so bad to be part of that group, <laughs> and They're dumb as a bag of hammers. Oh you know, man! <laughs> and and so they end up coming in. So, but by using those cow calls, you're you're liable to get just about anything come in. And it could be another cow that come into it too. Okay, um, if if you're just trying to get any bull, satellite bull, raghorn bull, you know, your best opportunity to get them is going to be morning and evening. You know, you when you can hear that herd bull, you know there's going to be satellites around that herd bull. So when you're coming in, you want to be aware of that. You want to use cow calls. If you get one of those other bulls, you hear him yelling or challenging, then you can act like a bull to him with some cows that you have, a, cow, a bull that has a hot cow. And what you want to do is see if you can get him interested in coming to you. Now, he's been chasing this other herd bull. He might have got his butt whooped already. You don't know what's happened all night long. <laughs> but mm-hmm. if, you know, he hears another bull with a hot cow, he's like, and and especially if you don't sound like a big intimidating herd bull. Maybe sure. you're one of those satellites that still has got a group and, and he's going to try to come in for that. So if you get him to react to you, now you want to read the temperature of that animal. Now you want to see, okay, am I going to be able to give a challenge to him and escalate as he escalates? You want to warm him up, and then as he starts to escalate and that temperature gets up a little bit, Now, once he gets so that he's challenging back and you guys are going back and forth, it's getting ready to happen. You better get locked and loaded because it's getting ready to happen. All right. And I will tell you this, some of these satellite bulls around these herd bulls, some of these guys are better than the herd bull. They just haven't been able to whip the old dog. And there's some beautiful mature bulls because, again, I don't know if you've listened to any of the other podcasts, but when a cow comes in estrus – And that herd bull breeds her. She's in heat for about 14 hours, and she she will be bred in a competition-heavy area. She'll be bred by four to six bulls other than that herd bull. So these other guys are just waiting in the wings to have their opportunity to be able to breed that cow. So that's something for you to remember, okay? So, you know, morning, evening – Cow calls, uh, sound like a bull that has your own hot cow. Decoys are awesome to use at the time. Um, I'm telling you what, all of us are going to have decoys with us when we hunt. Uh, oh, while we're hunting now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, while we we're are, in the woods right now, we have a decoy. We we're have looking a at decoy her. right now. Uh, yes, sir. Um, we carry Montana with us. Um, I have the ultimate predators is what's going to be on my bow this time. I just love the whole format of that. And you know what? I talked to, a um, I talked to a friend who, um, is involved with that. And for years made adaptations to the Montana, um, oh, wow. to be something like that ultimate predator. And, and, uh-huh. and when that came out, it was like, Oh, honey, I'm home you know no so it works good for me um and if you're trying to get a herd bull now gilbert i want to hear your i want to hear your 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 story your your tale or uh about herd bulls how wh- why are they so tough man
1: well i mean number one they're so tough because they got an agenda right right they they've got things on their mind and when they're uh <laughs> You know, when they're insistent about staying with the group of cows, it's really more about getting the cows to do what you want them to do. So he'll, you can position him, for sure. Good point. uh, For for me, so I've changed so much as my my elk hunting career has been. For me, it's not no more about. And if I see a giant bull, yeah, and I got an opportunity, sure, yeah, we're gonna try to make it happen. But I promise you. If one stupid one gets in the way of that,
2: it's going to happen. I'm yes, just
1: going to draw the bow back and let it rip. Yeah. I enjoy, my family enjoys eating elk meat. And yeah. we, you know, I go every year. My, my wife tells me, don't come home without one. So, uh, I mean, if we're going to go make it happen, we're going to make it happen. But herd bulls are extremely difficult because they have an agenda. Uh, right. and, and it's all about their cows. They're working, and, man. Yeah, they are one hundred percent at work. Yep. Uh, and you know when when they got it on their mind, they got it on their mind. However, if you can make him feel like you are challenging him, uh, he will for. And it, and you catch him in an instance where none of his cows are in heat, right? Then you can make him do some things that he probably wouldn't do if he had some that were in heat, right? right? So,
2: you know, if if you're if you had a fella come up and get in your face, Gilbert i'm not saying the guy's very bright okay i'm just saying yeah. <laughs> and you had a guy yeah. and you know well, and he gets up and he starts acting dumb a little bit well mm. you, you might get your backup some but if you've got family and stuff behind you you might be okay well i've, I've got business to tend to you know yeah. you're being stupid and stuff like that. but that same guy comes in and starts talking to your girlfriend your wife or your significant other yeah Things it's changed, right? It's
1: Katie bar the door. Listen, these critters are angry. Okay, <laughs> they are not in a pleasant mood when all of this is going on. It happened so fast with me and RC Knox that we called down. I, I, I believe there were two or three herd bulls in the whole bunch. We just didn't know how many cows were there. Right. But these bulls got into a frenzy. I'm talking a frenzy now, and just went off and before you knew it I'd shot a bull and six more are on top of us and one of them kicked dirt on us. That's how close he came to running <laughs> us over. And uh, you know, I, I've I've told this story before. That bull is in our face I'm talking in my face right (laughs) you could smell his breath his eyes went blood red peeing all over everything and RC knocks I turn and look at I didn't shot a bull so I can't kill another one (laughs) but I'm gonna have to do something and that's the first I turn and look at RC and he goes do something. <laughs> Just drew, and when I drew, the bull blew up, and yeah. he hit the other bull with his horns, and they went to fighting, and they could have cared less that we were there.
2: No, no. I mean, it's you know? once they get in that frenzy. So- oh, my
1: gosh. It's a dangerous <laughs> position to yeah. be in. Oh, yeah. I'm going to tell you right now, because that bull was going to come through me and RC. I promise you, you know. Um you know, the big bull I killed a few years back, same thing. He had a huge group of cows with him and tons of satellite bulls. Right, right. Him. He just made the mistake of letting me see him after I drew on the cow at 12 yards. Right. I saw him out of the corner of my eye, and I went, hmm, he's a long way off, but he's coming in the right direction,
2: <laughs>
1: right? So I bulls, you can make it happen, but you got to get in the middle of them. So, right.
2: ladies and gentlemen, understand something, man. <laughs> uh, morning and evening, it, it it can be tough. And like Gilbert says, you got to get you've got to be in amongst them, because what is happening? Why is the morning and evening so tough? Is because these guys are going to a destination. The cows in the morning are wanting to go to bed. And these bulls are going to stay with the cows, and and you see those bulls behind those cows. A lot of people is like, "What a coward, man! He lets those cows." But <laughs> what it is is he's scent checking the whole time, man. Oh, and, he's staying downwind of them the whole time to find yeah, out which ones are coming, and he. That's exactly right. So it that's a tough time because and the
1: cover is six too, because he's got other bulls. Sure, coming other bulls, in bulls
2: coming in. but if he and if he has a cow in heat you are not going to call that bull off that cow it's just not going to happen but what you do in that situation i'm going to give you two situations two things you can do number one you got a bull and let's say he's with those cows and you can see he's tending and he's not on a hot cow um maybe he's tending them but one hasn't come in heat yet So just like I told you before, instead of talking to him straight up, don't talk to him. Talk Talk to to his ladies, man. You know, what you want to do is you want to act like a bull where you kind of give that that roundup bugle to those cows or a display bugle and when you probably guys you hear that display bugle is a lot of people call it the you know that that they're doing that uh, the lip ball okay mm-hmm. um when they do that they're talking to the cows and that's like an insult to that bull and right. that can pull him off the you know you want to do cow calls it sounds like this bull has his own hot cow. And when you do that, when you tell that kind of story, he's like, man, mm-hmm. I'm going to go breed that cow and then I'll come back to mine over here. So, mm-hmm. you know, really there, there's different strategies that you can use. You can try talking to his cows. Um, you can actually act like a, a cow that's trying to round up the other cows and bring those cows to you, like you were talking about, Gilbert. You can try yep. bringing the cows to you, and El Bull will follow. But, uh, so, so that's the calling strategy. The, the other strategy, when they are going, when they're moving like that, they are going to a destination. Shadow that herd. Get off on their downwind side. Make sure you are not behind them because those thermals are going to change right around nine o'clock and go, you know, they're going to go right up to them. Right now, they're going up the hill with the thermals coming down. So it seems like you can follow behind them. You can for a little bit till those thermals start changing, then it's going to go right back to them. So you want to be a little off parallel downwind. Follow them up, shadow them midday. If you bed down midday, when he's got his cows bedded down that is prime time to call a bull off his cows. That is the best time, I think, to really call one of them out. I've had uh, a couple hunters that we have killed bulls at 11 o'clock, and, and that's just the, the best situation because now they're not tending so many, they have those ladies bedded down, they need to get up and get some water, they need to get some feed, and uh, especially if you have a wallow in that area. So. Those are the strategies I want you guys to think about in in trying to to get to those bulls. uh, Great
1: information, Joe. These guys, you know, they're going to be able to make it happen. Just because of some of the things that we've talked about, you know, being insistent, uh, understanding what a satellite bull is, what a herd bull is. And then guys got to make your mind up what you want, you know, and then be true to it. You know, right, I, right. I was true to it for many years. You know, I was true to what I wanted to do. And, uh, you know. Don't pass the, the, the bull
2: day, on day one that you're not going to pass on day five.
1: I tell people that all the time, whitetail hunting, never pass on a buck the first day that you'd shoot on the last day. That's right. And it's the same way in elk hunting. I, you know, I've had guys with me that have decided they wanted to pass. And I'm like, i at you you know. It, it happened last year. I look at them and went, What was that? Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. They're like, yeah. Oh, well, man, I came here to shoot a six by six. Yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, okay. I'm like, hmm, Man, I put him right in front of you in your wheelhouse, brother, and you put your nose up at a big five. Yeah. Mm, okay. I guarantee you, son, that won't happen again. He'll get the meat <laughs> whistle with me. I, I promise
2: you. Uh-huh. Right. So, so let, let's say you kill that animal, you get that bull, right? Okay, so that's going to take us to our second topic of the evening. And and um, actually, we took from two questions that we would have been seeing down here in our Elk Bros mailbox. So I want awesome. to thank PJ Hennigan and, uh, from Oregon, and I want uh, to thank Brandon Faulkner um, for their questions that inspired our second topic tonight. And that topic is after the kill, because Gilbert, we've been getting so many questions from people about... Yeah what do we do after the kill? How do we pack? How do we haul? How do we tend to the meat and all of those? So, and, and, you know, I think it's great that that, that those questions are coming in because I think sure. a lot of people forget if you plan on being successful, you better plan on two parts of the hunt. No doubt, <laughs> There's the hard no fun doubt. and there's the hard work, right?
1: Yeah, that that's right. Cause it's all hard, but you know, it's so important and, and I, I'm not tooting our own horn, but, I'm going to tell you, I've tasted some guy's elk meat. and whew, Man, I don't know what they did with it. They drug it down the highway or what. <laughs> but ours tastes so good because we take good care of it. That's you know? right. And we get it cooled down quick. And, you know, we put it on that ice bath. And, you know, we if we got to come off the mountain and come get ice, I mean, that's exactly what we do, you
2: know. Yeah, y'all, you have to, man. If you're going to have that good taste of meat that Gilbert's talked about, you look, you've planned your hunt. For months and spend a lot have, of money. You have to have a plan for after the kill.
1: That's right. You know?
2: And 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 actually, the first consideration you should have should take place before the kill. And and what I mean by that is this especially goes to uh, um, PJ's question. And and he thought he was going to be hunting solo, and and he was wondering how far was too far for him to hunt. And and we had a conversation about that. And PJ is in incredible shape. I mean, this guy is, is a trainer. You know, mm-hmm. he's, uh, he's in excellent shape. He lives in Oregon. He's used to the conditions. You know, if anybody can get it done, TJ yeah, can, can, right? Sure. But what I want people to understand, though, is this, that this is not about whether you can do it or not. It's about whether you can do it in the time needed to ensure that your meat is going to be okay. Yeah, I mean, you don't want to put all this work in and go all the way back here and kill this animal for it only to go bad on you.
1: For sure. You should have took a loaf of bread and ate him up there.
2: There you are, (laughs) right? Yeah. -hmm. Yeah. So I kind of gave – and what it's about is, you know, PJ is a a strong guy, right? But I don't care how strong you are, one mile – takes a certain amount of time to get there and a certain amount yeah. of time to get back. Now, your conditioning goes down. That time increases. You bet. Two miles, now you're talking about a four-mile trek there and back. And you're not going to do it once because if you're by yourself, and he's in Oregon, one of those uh, rosies, you know, uh, if Big. he gets it all meted out, is going to be right around 300 pounds, if not a little bit more than that, right?
1: Yeah, for sure.
2: So depending on what now, again, he's a bigger guy. He's a stronger guy. Um, I'm not sure how much weight he's going to pack on his back. But for most people, with 300 pounds of meat, you're talking four trips, possibly five, but, you know, when you're dealing with gear and antlers. So now start doing the math. And, And here's what happens that's critical is it's all about the temperature, okay? Because I'm here in New Mexico two nights ago and two nights in a row we did not get under 70 degrees now most of these nights have been 50 degrees at night right yeah. and and dropping down they're getting ready and up there where we're going where we're hunting right now going to be chilly yeah it it's going to drop down below 40 right yeah. but if if you're in an area man where that temperature is hot now you really have trouble because it's you've got to get back and forth so what I did was, I gave a solo distance recommendation um, for an animal 250 to 300 pounds of meat, which kind of puts you right in the ballpark there, unless it's a small one. Um, nights over 40 degrees and days above 70, I, you have about four to six hours to get it cool, okay, from the time it dies. Because the moment an animal dies, he starts to deteriorate. Sure. Right that moment he dies, he starts breaking down. So, um, if you are, um, one mile, I, I would say if it's for, in those nights, if the nights are forties and days are 70, then I would say your furthest distance should be one mile from any kind of transport to at the most. Okay. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. now the good thing is, is I, is PJ and I have talked since and he actually has a partner going with him. That totally changes some things. Oh
1: yeah. Now, now he can cuts
2: get it things done in half the town, time, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: He can, yep he can get out of there in two trips now. So that kind of changes things. Now nights in the thirties and days in the fifties, I tell people you don't want to, if you're solo again, this is solo three to six miles. And that's yeah. the furthest you want to be in because there's some different things you can do now. If the nights are in, in the thirties and days are in the fifties, now Eat, you can hang, hang, hang some meat and it's going to stay cool so that it's not as critical for you to get back and forth there. So yeah. As long as you put it in the shade and it's really important if you're in a situation solo and you're six miles away you'd better be creating a a meat pole you better have um, good game bags with you you got to get and keep it on the bone because it's easier for you to hang and you want to hang that in a good shady area and make sure you you some
1: paracord with you
2: yeah Mm -hmm. and let it cool down and that way you can get going and what i tell people is if you're deep in like that uh, use, use a meat relay. I mean, don't go, if you're six miles in, don't go the full six miles back and six miles there, you know, go three miles with a load, go back, get another three, you know, but shuttle it to a point. Mm-hmm. Now, when you go to again, now you're only three miles when you're doing that. So it kind of sure. helps you to not have to go all the way back and all the way in. That's right. You know, you're still covering the distances, but mentally, it does a lot for you, you know. Yeah,
1: I, you know, I'm telling you, we shot that bull last year, and we we're a couple of miles away from camp, and I'm telling, or a couple of miles away from the bike. I'm telling you, I don't. I, it took me all night doing yeah. it by myself, and I don't know that I could have done it all by myself. Right. I might have had to leave some up there and come back the next day. Good lucky that Anybody- you know we we we're up high and it gets cold in the evening, so.
2: Anybody that hasn't should talk to somebody that has and let them tell them what it was like because oh my I God. Mean, it, it's a, it is a grueling experience. I mean, you feel great after you get it done and you feel proud of yourself, but it is a grueling experience.
1: Well, we were, you know, so blessed to have everybody be able to come sure. and work with us, there you, you go. know. And a bit like you and Chab, I mean y'all, y'all killed y'all's bulls on the first day. Had two bulls to deal with, yeah. You know? And we're gonna. Luckily, y'all that. were pretty close, but still, we were close.
2: So that that kind of changes things. So in your planning, in your plan that you have, one thing that you got to plan to have is a kill kit. So in that sure. kill kit, you you should have your tag. Got to have your knives. If you have replaceable blades, make sure they're in there. Also, if you're using replaceable blades, make sure that you have a little. Uh, um, maybe foldable set of pliers or something like that. Do not do it with your hands. That's a good way to end up out there bleeding and in a bad situation. Uh, your sharpeners uh, and and we carry a, a, a kill kit like this, just like this. And 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 what this is, um, it's a Ziploc bag. It's got our it's got our gloves in it. Uh, we wear rubber gloves when when we kill. I have to. <laughs> yeah, Here's yeah I'm allergic. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, here's one y'all laugh at. I'm uh, I've been hunting elk all these years, and I'm allergic to elk blood, but. <laughs> So we have the Ziploc bag inside of it. I've got a couple pair of rubber gloves, and uh, I have actually two other small Ziploc bags I keep in there because now I can put my uh, bloody gloves in those, any kind of trash I have in one. I can put my knives that are all bloody in one, and they don't get all dried out and get all over everything if I'm not able to wash them out right away. And then I can wash them out in camp, And we use, uh, and we use some arm sleeves to keep the blood off of our, our clothes off of there uh, while we're doing it, so that's a great thing to have inside there when you do that. Um, uh, and that would be our kill kit. I have we keep it all right there together, and we're ready to get after it when we get there. We keep rope, uh, some like you said, some paracord, uh, in case we got to tie a leg off or we got to hang a quarter or something like that, or even make a line to be able to hang uh your back straps over so that they can cool off you know if you can find a smooth branch or something like that that's great if not you can always tie a line and you can hang your back straps on them to cool off in the shade there
1: yeah i remember last year we had a big downed uh tree you know it was a big downed looked like it was uh either one of the quakies or right. something that it fell yeah. over rye right? aspens and fell over and we uh we actually laid that back strap strap out on it it was nice and and wasn't dirty and stuff like that so kept it nice and clean mm -hmm, kept it real and i i in my pack i carry uh cheesecloth too uh bags to put stuff in to try and keep some of the dirt off of
2: yeah yeah and and we're going to talk about that as well because i say in
1: my pack i keep it in my mule
2: so Mm -hmm. so another thing that a lot of guys and this is something that that we've done out on the ranch is you take just a regular water bottle cap And if you'll drill small holes in it right here and just keep this cap in there. So when you, when you go and get your pack, if you do it that way and you come out there, you can grab a water bottle or two. And when you get done, you can actually take this and put it on in place of the other one. And it becomes a little hand shower to be able to clean off your hands and stuff like that, you know, to be able to wash it. It kind of helps you. So there's a, there's a little give, give me that's awesome man learn
1: something new today joe
2: (laughs) so other (laughs) questions you got to ask yourself are you gutting the animal are you using the gutless method we always use the gutless method we've i've i've used that for years before i even knew that other people knew about it so um, uh, we go from the outside in Uh, that helps in a lot of ways to keep a lot of contamination off your meat. So um, I I really am pro on that. Skin on and skin off. These are what people have asked us sometimes. Um, You know, do we skin our quarters out and put them in cheesecloth like you're talking about or a game bag? Or do we leave that skin on? Well, most of the time, where we hunt, ended up again, always is relative to your situation. A lot yeah. of times, we're not a half mile where we can get an ATV on a road or a trail within a half mile uh, or closer to where we have a downed animal. And so, myself, I prefer because we're on our animal fast after it's down. Um, we we get that quartered out. And I prefer to keep the skin on because it's really probably going to be a half hour from the time I start hauling that meat to when I have it in camp. And then it keeps it clean for me. When, I, when we're in camp, Gilbert, then we skin it, we debone it, and it's on ice. I yep. mean, immediately. So um, that is our preference. Now, if I'm backpacking in or I have an animal that is two miles away before we can get it out, And that's a different story. Now we're going to – we need to cool that meat down if it's hot, you know. Um, So we're going to go ahead and skin that out. We're going to hang that up, and we're going to pack it with uh, game bags to get it out there. So um, so that's where you have to ask yourself, do you need game bags? Yeah, you better have game bags, okay. Um, A lot of times, I tell you what, I don't think I've had to use a game bag – and I don't know, 15 kills because of just where we were able to get to it. Sure. Sure. We're able to make that happen. Um, Deboning or hanging. Once you get it back to camp, we debone everything. Uh, If you prefer hanging it, that's up to you. We like to get our meat in a cooler. I don't want, the more I can keep flies away from it, um, yellow jackets away from it and I can get it in an ice bath where it gets leached out where it, cools that meat down it relaxes that meat um that's what we prefer uh, now again if you're in a backcountry situation with no ice totally different it's all relative to your situation sure. at that point you're going to create a meat pole you're hanging that puppy right okay yeah. um, how to deal with the back straps. you got to plan on how to deal with the back straps, neck meat tenderloins cape antlers and skull because some places you might have requirements by law that you have to have proof of sex or skull cap with antlers skull cap with ears or something like that know those laws know if you have to have a ziplock to put that if it's a cow if you're going to put that inside there so that you have it um but make sure that you have a plan on how to deal with those back straps neck the neck meat because on a big bull that neck meat is as much as a shoulder quarter, man. Oh, I mean, man, it's
1: heavy. Yeah. Super-duper heavy, man. Yep. I mean, it, you can't tell. I mean, I can't tell you how much. A big bull's got a lot of meat on his neck, and yep. it's good meat, too, man. It's it all good. good,
2: really good. Very um, good. And and it's, and it's it really is your responsibility to harvest that meat off that neck as well. Okay? okay. So have a plan for that. Is that going into a game bag? And, again, if you are in a situation where you're a long ways away you got to understand that if you're piling a bunch of meat together, that if it hasn't had a chance to cool off, it can it can stay warm inside there and get blood pockets and stuff to start to sour on you. Yeah, that's
1: so, why it's so important to get it off the bone. That bone's the warmest part of the whole uh, the whole quarter. So you want to right. get it away from that bone as quick as you can.
2: So the the other thing to plan about is your processing. Are you going to process immediately? Are you going to wait till everybody's done? Well, for us, because we debone and we put everything in the coolers, we're there until everybody's done hunting. Now, uh, if in our situation, Chav and I, we killed on first day before anybody else got in. Man, we threw quarters in the back of the truck, drove down the processor, dropped them off, and boom, we're back up in the hills. So, um, but we had a plan. We knew what we could do and, and where we could get it. So, uh, know, understand where your processors are. If you have a long way to go back home, uh, do you have, I mean, are they going to be able to deep freeze that for you? If so, or what are you going to put it in? And there's there's so many things on the internet where you could actually create your own type of. Uh, insulation system in your trunk to keep something in your truck to keep things frozen. Or you can always put a freezer with a generator in the back of your vehicle and put all that stuff in there from the processor. There's different yeah, things and, you can do there. And
1: you know too, Joe, if you know where you're going to be hunting, you can reach out to some of those processors around there and say, hey guys, if I bring you something, can you store it for me, right? Sure. Can you let it sit in your cooler? You, know, you work out something with them where you pay them a little trespass fee or whatever it may be to have them – put your stuff in there if you you know especially if you're hunting with a group of four or six guys um if you can bring it down off the mountain and that'll save you an ice anyway right you let them hang in their cooler a lot of those guys will let you do it
2: and guys if you're not processing immediately and you're going to hang your meat you you need to pepper that meat you need to uh, make sure you have quality game bags and you know flies and yellow jackets and those things um yellow jackets can eat through some of those I mean they are vicious not to, critters, matter, man. Not
1: to matter they can bite you too yeah. you know <laughs> yeah. them, them rascals are nasty they'll they'll carve meat off of you as well yep. you know
2: so you you know make sure if you're gonna hang it, you take care of it to keep because you don't want flies on that and uh and and also your processor considerations is that remember this: weight and work mean money so sure. if that processor has to skin your animal it's going to cost you money if you you know if you're if you're going to give them uh every part of that animal you're going to pay for that bone weight on there too that's on there so um mm-hmm. these are things for you to think about before you take something to a processor
1: one of the joe too is the cape right? Mm-hmm. Uh, right if you kill a really big bull and you're going to want him mounted you're going to want to make sure you take care of a, a beautiful cape like that and uh Carl taught me a long time ago to just bring you a box of salt, salt that cape, and uh, make sure you keep him dry and cool. Uh, You can actually roll that cape up and fold it up, put it in a nice trash bag, let it sit out for a day or so after you've salted the back side of it. Just get you a box of salt, and it works really good. And you can salt that hide, it'll take a lot of the moisture out of it, and then you roll it up, put it in that uh in a big trash bag, a, a good industrial trash bag, then you lay it right there in your cooler on some ice. As long as you keep it cool and dry, the hide won't slip. Right.
2: Yeah. And and I and I tell all of you too, a lot of most guys that do get their animals mounted generally have a taxidermist that they have in mind or know who they want to work with, talk with them, have yep. a conversation with them on how they want you to deal with your cape and stuff like that, have them give you best case. And, and that way, you know, you're not going to bring something to him, and he's going to be upset about it. So uh, include them, empower that person and they'll, and they'll help educate you. Um, The only thing I want to make sure we cover now is uh, I hope that kind of helps you guys with some of the things you need to make decisions on and plan on. I want to make sure you understand the red flags for, things with your meat as well is because 40 degrees y'all is the magic number after 40 degrees bacteria starts to grow and it grows fast so the higher up above 40 degrees the quicker bacteria is going to grow so it's real important for y'all to get that meat as cool below or as close as you can below 40 degrees as possible um, within that four to six hours especially in warm weather okay when it's warm and make sure that you you know if you have a gut shot animal, they're more of a concern, especially if there's been leach or contamination on the meat. Uh, a lot of bacteria comes from that um, Heat, sun, and flies are your enemy. You got to keep those flies off because they'll lay those eggs and if you start to see um little animals starting to reproduce on there, you've got a problem okay. No doubt. Um, if you have any visible green slime or discoloration on your meat, be safe, get rid of it. And, and, you know, a lot of people will smell meat and sometimes you can tell if meat's bad when you smell it, but not always. All right. Sure. If you've had some of those liquids that have gotten onto it from a gut shot animal, you really have to clean things good. You got to check and cut off all those areas that could possibly contaminate it. So, uh, that's what I wanted to cover and, and, and on those topics, Gilbert, as far as that anything else that you want to add before we go to the mailbox on here on, on, uh, after the kill?
1: No, I, uh, you know, um, I think we covered a, a whole plethora of things, but you know, taking care of your kills, number one, man, I Definitely. Mean, we, we work all this, you know, pay, pay the money that we paid for our tags and, you know, uh, and put all that time we've invested in it. We want to make sure that we, and we do the honor of, of honoring that animal and taking
2: care of it. That's sustenance. right. And uh, so we're going to go to our Elkboro's mailbox now. And right. I think we're only going to have time for two because I think actually we can almost include these together. And cool. I, I, I mentioned up there we had Michael Nord. Uh, and Michael's question, and I'm going to tell you what the two questions are. They were from Michael Nord. He's from Grand Forks, North Dakota. And we got right. C.J. Butler. And CJ's from Salt Lake City, Utah. All cool. right? And uh, Michael's question was, um, he's going to be hunting the mid-late season elk uh, rifle October 10th to the 24th. And he was wondering if we could give him some tips on finding the bachelor groups in that time period. Because what he understands is that uh, it will be post and late rut. And so the bulls won't be chasing cows as much and will be more in a bachelor group of bulls. So I see you kind of shaking your head a little bit, Gilbert, because actually mm-hmm. he's a, you're just a little bit, Michael, a little off on your timing because mm-hmm. 10th through the 24th. Now what happens is the big bulls have split off. Right. The big bulls have now jumped off right around that 10th. Now you actually, and and don't discard the fact that a second and third estrus can happen.
1: 100%.
2: we killed uh, a year ago, we killed the biggest bull ever um, on that year on the last hunt in October because a cow had come in heat and they were screaming like crazy. So your bachelor groups like that are not going to happen until late November, December. Yeah. right now in october 10th through the 24th bud you still Ooh. have you still have animals screaming you got um you know some of those big bulls that have come off well now those satellites have taken over the herd and they're practicing for the following year you know yep. they're doing it's kind of like a pre rut after the after the peak rut you know what I mean I, I that's the only way I can describe it is yeah they, they have gotten back with that herd and now they're bugling and uh, they think they're the big man on campus you're still going to hear elk bugling and you're going to find bulls that are going to be talking in that October 10th to the
1: 24th yeah I mean you got to know around the equinox like you've been talking Joe that's September 23rd right right those that aren't bred in that equinox 30 days later will right. come into come cycle again right so you know 21 to 30 days later somewhere in that neighborhood yeah. and i'm telling you that's i mean you're mid mid-october that's right, right. that's so, exactly right. i mean this could be a perfect storm that you're hunting in michael I'm telling you straight up. I've spent time in the woods from October the 8th through the 15th. And I'm telling you, it is wide open at times.
2: Now, the only problem that you have, Michael, is, is that you're hunting in Idaho. So you're hunting in wolf country. And, and so that does change things a little bit, but, um, you've got these animals going to be moving a lot and stuff. So. Uh, you do have a little bit more issue that you have to deal with there, but I, I want you to understand that Joe. they're not in bachelor groups at this point. Those mm-hmm. big bulls might be solo at this point yeah. and you can locate them being solo. Uh, but uh, other than that, there are still elk talking, especially for you guys that are in other States. That's a time period that that's still happening. I will actually be on a, on a rifle hunt with a, uh, with somebody on the 19th and i'm planning on calling and and locating as well during that time and now cj butler his question was is there any way that I, what a nice guy man I, I, man they got good people in salt lake i can tell somebody raised him right is there any way you gentlemen could give me some insights and tactics for targeting spike elk in early october and <laughs> what, yeah buddy what, what would that be gilbert what would you man just me? find you a big group of cows you find you a big group
1: of cows, I guarantee you, there's going to be several of them goobers in there that uh, love to come to little cow calls, and uh, I have had them just dang there run me over. Uh, and it doesn't have to. You don't. You know those big estrus calls and stuff like that. It's just a location cow call, and then you can calf squeal at them, and they will come. They will come running at you. And CJ, I mean, those sure.
2: th- what's happening in that early October, like you're talking about, is like Gilbert said. October first through the eighth, man, is blowing up. Though I mean, that's when a lot of the breeding's going on. Still, the big herd bulls are screaming. Other bulls are chasing. Uh, these spikes are around these herds, wanting to become a part of something. So they are very susceptible. How I many? How I many
1: we have come in on us that morning, Joe? Thir- oh, did we count thirteen? Thirteen man. passed within nine yards of us. Yep. Thirteen spikes in a row. I mean, <laughs> Joe's looking at me like, <laughs> I'm like, no. <"Nah." laughs> I mean, so he's like, well, you got at least draw on one of these goobers, yep. you know. So we counted coup on several of them. Uh, but yeah, brother, you're gonna have an opportunity. You find those cows and you find where they're going and being slaves to their bellies. And I promise you, you're going to find some of them spikes. And you're going to right.
2: find the cows because the herd bulls are going to be yelling. So yes. you're going to be able to find the herds. You locate the herd. There's going to be spikes on the peripheral. There's even That's going to right. be some that the herd bull is going to tolerate being in the herd. Okay, Joe, he so.
1: where he's going to be? Is he going to be hunting in Utah?
2: Um... I, he did not tell me if he was hunting in Utah or not, but I I, I feel like he is going to be hunting in Utah yeah. there. So, well, um, he's
1: going to be in the right in the right spot. I yep. guarantee you that time of year is special, guys. I mean, I've been able to hunt. You know, been real privy to be able to hunt everything from then to late November. I haven't hunted hunted much in the late December times. I've hunted mostly you know September, October, and November, uh, and it's been special. You know. Yeah. Uh, I take that back. Logan and I did a cow hunt with the late Carl Gamage. It was just before Christmas, uh, and Carl guided Logan on his first elk kill. And golly, the amount of cows that were gr- grouped up in one place. Oh, and, yeah, sure. It was hard to get on a ca- one cow because there's 400 with
2: them. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So <laughs> it was, it was, feast or famine, huh? Feast yeah, or famine. Yeah. Super challenging, man. So, um, guys, um, Gilbert and I, we got to get up and hunt in the morning. (laughs) So so we're going to get to bed. Uh, We hope you enjoy this show again. uh, Remember next week we might be out uh, towards the end of the week. We're not exactly sure. Um, We want to wish all you guys that are out there the best of luck. Keep your broad head sharp, man, uh, from me. Gilbert, go ahead and uh, close us out, man.
1: Yeah, man, Joe, what a great show. Can't wait to come to you guys from Elk Camp, uh, no doubt. We're going to be up there getting trying to get it done with the mafia and the, the professional cat killer from Pennsylvania. We're gonna, Brendan Houlihan going to be in the house. It's going to be epic. Y'all do not want to miss, miss it. So from Joe in New Mexico, I'm Gilbert Ronellis here in Spring, Texas. God bless all of you out there. Ladies, kiss your husband and husband, kiss your wives. Y'all hug your babies. Keep your broad head sharp and your powder dry. And we'll see you next week right here on Blue Collar Elk Hunting.
2: Good luck, y'all. Everybody, get out of Good after luck, guys. Good God night. bless.